If not, I invite you to turn with me to the second chapter of the book of Matthew. I desire your prayers. I feel much better today than I did last Sunday, but um, battled COVID earlier in the week, and uh, just appreciate an interest in your prayers. I want to say this to set the nature and gravity, not just of this service, but of each service. But as far as I know, this is the last time I will ever preach. As far as you know, this is the last time you will ever hear preaching. We're never or we're not promised another opportunity or occasion like this one. All we've been given is this moment. And it would suit us then, as the Scriptures teach us, to use the the language of the Bible to redeem the time to make the very most of this occasion an opportunity that is given to us. If this is indeed, or if this were the last time that I were to ever preach, how would you expect me to preach? But to preach as a dying man with all urgency in my heart to proclaim to you the message of hope that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might hear it and that it might be effective to your heart that you might cry out to the Lord for salvation before it is too late. How would you listen if it was the last sermon that you ever heard? But would you not listen with a reverence and a desire to hear from the Lord as you had never heard from Him before? As far as I know, this is the last opportunity that any of us will ever be afforded. And you would say, well, Derek, we would expect that time will continue and we'll be back tonight at 6 o'clock and we'll have the Christmas play and we'll come back in next Sunday morning at 11 it'll be Christmas and there'll be a bunch of excitement and we'll have Christmas services here next Sunday and it's going to be a, a good day. And according to our expectation in the flesh, that's exactly what we would perceive to happen. But as I have studied and, and, and would perceive from the Scriptures... All that is needed to, that would have happened for the Lord to come back and, and call all this to, to the finish has been completed. All we're waiting on now is for Jesus Christ to appear in the sky and to call all this thing done. And it's going to happen any time now. I remember hearing a sermon one time by Brother Mike McCurry, preacher out in Missouri, And he was preaching about how he was a boy and he remembered going with his dad to a neighbor's farm and standing outside of a barn and his dad and that other man talking and they were talking about the Lord and were considering the Lord's return and the man or the brother Mike remembered the man looking at his father and looking at Mike and saying, I don't know if he'll come back in my lifetime, but he pointed at brother Mike and said, but I bet he comes back in his. Or I expect him to come back in his. I feel that way. I don't know if he'll come back in my lifetime or not. I half expect him to. But if not, I look upon some of these young ones that are around here. Bryson and Samuel and Jackson and Branson and Lucas and Faith and Lila and Molly. And I see all of these and I can't help but tell you 
that I expect him to come back in yours if he doesn't come back in mine. I hope that sets in on your heart today. Lord's coming back. He's coming back with great power and with great glory. He has reserved vengeance for Himself. And that means that all evil that has ever been committed, all wickedness that has ever been performed, it will be rightly judged. And it will be judged once and for all. And for all those who are found without, for all those who are found lost in their sins, judgment will fall upon them. Everlasting judgment that would condemn them to a devil's hell for all eternity. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when Jesus appears, I want you to know that judgment will be final. There will be no opportunity left. There will be no chance that is regarded for those that are lost. In fact, Scripture talks about it this way. It says those that are lost would cry out for hills and rocks to fall upon them, to hide them from that judgment. But I want you to know, just as terrible as that day will be for those that are lost, for those that are saved, it will be a great day. For we will see our Savior appearing in the skies. And listen to this, we will rise and meet Him in the air, and we will be made like Him, and there will we ever be. (laughs) Oh, what a great uh, comparison, a great juxtaposition of these two things. Those who are lost in their sins and those who have been saved and imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear my words well when I talk about that. Those that are saved, what they've received, it is not of some good work of their own doing that they've received salvation. No, instead, it is that they have received the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. I have the promise and hope of heaven today, not because of any good that I have done, but because of the merit of another. Because of what Christ has done on my behalf. And listen to this. This is, this is the best part, if you ask me. Is that Jesus Christ has made a way for those that are lost and in their sins to be saved, to be set free, that they too can receive that wonderful gift of salvation and that imputed righteousness that is His. And there's been a lot of, of, of attempts of man to try to uh, somehow make that so that it's, it's, it's put in different terms and you'll hear all sorts of ways to, to, to be saved. And you'll hear words like this that you need to accept Jesus into your heart or you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Listen to me. All of those things, you, you won't find that in the Scriptures. Here's what you'll find in the Scriptures. You will find to repent and believe the Gospel. That is the message of salvation that we find in the Bible. To repent and to believe the Gospel. I hope today to preach to you a little bit of that Gospel. Here in the second chapter of the book of Matthew, we're going to read about the account of the wise men. We probably know that well as we consider at this time of year how the wise men came after Jesus was born and how they followed the star to the place where Jesus led and they found the young Jesus there with His mother Mary. 
But I want you to know while we look to that, we have a wonder in our hearts over the things that were done, while at the same time that we can marvel at these wise men who came from the east unto Jesus, what we will also see at the same time, we see this great and glorious revelation of the Son of God or the King of Kings. We see also a scandal that begins to brew concerning Jesus. And I want you to know that scandal has continued even to today. I'll tell you this. For many, the gospel is a scandal. We're going to see that evidenced here today. Read with me. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And now Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least amongst the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had privily or secretly called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may also come and worship. Verse 9, When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they had saw in the east, it went before them, till it came and it stood over where the young child was. And they saw the star. They re- well, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And we'll stop right there. I'll encourage you to study out the rest of this chapter on your own. But there's some things here that I want us to to see as we begin to see both the the wonder of these wise men who are on who are on a journey, who are seeking to to find the king they had saw that in his star against Herod and the scandal that had begun. You need to know a little bit about Herod. He was an earthly king. He was one who had loyalty to Rome, but he had authority over uh, over the area, over Palestine as it would be. And uh, having rule over that then, he ruled over Judah, over Jerusalem, over Bethlehem, and he was, he was a king. And he was a brutal and cruel king at that. He had ruled by this point for some 35 years. He was up in years. His health was not good. And now we have these wise men and they have seen a star in the east. And I want to be clear about this, that the star did not go before the wise men. It did not move until after they had came to Jerusalem. We, we get that wrong sometimes. We understand the Christmas account. They, they saw the star though. 
These wise men, you probably heard them called magi before, these, these, these magi, what we would see of them, what we would recognize of them, is they were, were people who likely had a, a position in the courts and me, of the Medes and the Persians over in the eastern part of the, of the known world at this time, and they studied the stars. They studied signs and looked for divine revelation in them. And at some point, they saw a new star that had appeared, a star that was indicative that the king of the Jews had been born. And you can go over and you can read the Old Testament history, how at different times you actually see kings referred to as a, as a star. And so there's no doubt that these men, these wise men, these learned men had studied the stars, had studied the signs, had studied uh, the, the planets and all that they saw. They, they knew when this was revealed to them what it was about, that the king of the Jews had been born. And so with haste, they made their way to Jerusalem. Now, why did they make their way to Jerusalem? The king of the Jews had been born. It was only right that they would go to Jerusalem, to, to, the, to the capital, as it would be, of, of the Jews, to the city. Although it was underneath different rules, certainly during this time, it was only right that they would come to Jerusalem. And so they come to Jerusalem, and they're there, and they're trying to find this king of the Jews that had been born. And I want you to, to, to kind of get this image in your mind that these wise men have traveled some great distance and they would have appeared as, as probably noble or even uh, as royalty as some would perceive it. And they enter into Jerusalem and they probably surely would have expected that if the king of the Jews had been born, when they came to the city of the Jews, to this municipality, that they would have expected that people would have been talking about the king of the kings, the king of the Jews that had been born. Yeah, they come to Jerusalem and they find none of that, but they finally have the ear of Herod and they say, we have seen the, the, the star, we've seen the sign in the east that the king of the Jews has been born. Where is he? And Herod is troubled by this message. Now Herod, as I've already mentioned, he was brutal and he was cruel. Herod had ten wives. He had many children. And he was paranoid concerning his rule. He was paranoid that others would try to rise up and overthrow him as king or to usurp his authority as king. So much so that he had had three of his sons and one of his wives executed by this point. This was a cruel and brutal man who was paranoid regarding his rule. And so now he has heard that this king of the Jews has been born. And Herod is old. And he knows the end of his life is approaching. And this new king, as he's heard it, has been born. And he is threatened by this. And so he asks, he kind of puts the wise men on hold. And he calls all the scribes and, and all these uh, wise people together, the chief priests, all those who would know and be able to study the Scriptures. He calls them together and he says, where is the Christ to be born? Now I want you to see that. and Don't miss that. Herod knew who was born. He knew that the Messiah had been born. Even today, the Jews deny the birth, the incarnation, the coming of the Messiah in the flesh in Jesus Christ. 
But even here, we see in that day and age that recognition of who this was. He didn't come in the way that they had expected to set up a, a physical kingdom. But this indeed was the Son of God. The promised Messiah. This was the Christ. And so Herod asked these chief priests and these scribes to come together and to study the Scriptures and to tell him where the God-man, the God-child, was to be born. And so they look and they find the Scriptures that teach us and prophesy that it would be in Bethlehem. And we see that quote in verse 6. And now Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least amongst the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So they tell Herod it will, that this man, this, this, this new king, would be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod, he secretly calls the wise men back to himself and he asks, when did the star appear? Keep that in mind. This question was not just some random question that he was curious of how far they'd been traveling or how long they'd been traveling. There was a reason that Herod had inquired when the star had appeared. And so the wise men apparently had answered him and he sent them on to Bethlehem. Remember, the star at this point, it's not moved yet. But he tells them that his scribes, his, his chief priests, he's consulted with them and that they believe that this newborn king has been born in Bethlehem. And he tells the wise men, and can't you just hear him trying to tell the wise men this? Go, and when you find him, send me word back so that I can come and worship him too. Can't you see that? Sounds like a politician, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly what Herod did. He said, when you find him, send word back to me <coughs> that I may come and worship him also. And so they heard the king and they departed. And now this star did something different. I want to talk to you about this star for a second. The best that I can reason is that this star was unlike any other star. I don't know exactly what it appeared like. We're not told much about it, which I think is only appropriate. But we're told that it appeared, that it appeared rather suddenly in the sky to mark that the Lord had been born, that it was a sign that the wise men had received and knew that there was a, a newborn king of the Jews and that had, had it, what had inspired them or, or prompted them to go to Jerusalem. But now, can't you just see, as they leave the king's courts and they look to the sky, and now this star is moving. <laughs> now, Bethlehem is not a far journey from Jerusalem. It's just some six miles south of town. And so the wise men set out. And this star, for those six miles, it is going in front of them. You guys know those towers down in Trafalgar? Those three towers? When I was a kid, my grandpa, he, he lived down in that area, and whenever we'd be going home on Christmas Eve night from his house, and I'm a little boy, and uh, my, my, my parents, my, my dad in particular, he always told me that red flashing light that I could see there on that tower, that that was Rudolph. And he'd get me all excited that Santa was on his way, right? And I would start looking, and I'd be up in the back seat of that car. You could be up in the back seat of cars back then. And I'd be up in the back seat of that car, and I was just as sure that that red beeping light, red blinking light, would follow me all the way home. Now that was probably just my, my mind thinking that that tower was moving. That tower's still there today. It didn't move an inch. 
But this star, it went in front of the wise men. It was going and it had a purpose to guide the wise men to Jesus. It wasn't the star that was to be praised, but it was the star that was guiding the wise men to the one that they were looking to praise. Don't you see a comparison in that star to us? That we have a work to do as God's people. We're stars as it would be. In fact, we see even as it relates to pastors that in the book of Revelation that we see the Lord walking amongst seven lampstands with seven stars in His hands. And those seven stars that are in His right hand are the angels or the pastors of those seven churches. What am I trying to tell you? That we as uh, remain today just as this star that led the, the wise men to the place where Jesus laid, that it guided them to the one who was to be praised, so are we. There was nothing that was remarked upon about the beauty or the splendor of this star. We're not told if it was daytime or nighttime. We're not told any details about this star. Why? Because the star is not the star of the show in this case. It is not the one or the pinnacle of this account. It is not the one deserving of all praise and honor and glory. It was a guide to the one who is worthy of all praise in honor and glory. You know, sometimes I think that we are, I have, a, I have a misconceived notion that we are street signs that point others to Jesus. We are not called to be street signs that are pointing the way to Jesus. We are called to be those that lead and guide and show the way to Jesus. Do you see the difference? And so was this star. What had once just been a sign in the sky that had prompted the wise men to go to Jerusalem was now going in front of them, guiding them not just to Bethlehem, but somehow or another guided them to the very house that Jesus was in. Note that too. Jesus by this point, He's no longer in the manger. It's... Up to two years since Jesus has been born at this time. He, he, little Jesus might have been walking at this point. But it guides him to the house. <laughs> Can't you just see the wise men when that star finally stopped moving and settled over the house? What does it say about it? It says that they started to rejoice and they were exceeding glad. Why? Because at last, the one that they had spent weeks on a journey to find, only to get to Jerusalem and to find out he's not here, but he's six miles south, they get to this little country town of Bethlehem, this town that that, that isn't much talked about or, or revered in any way, but they get there and finally the star settles over this house and they look inside and they see Mary there and they see the child Jesus and and they rejoice with gladness for finally they have found the one that they have sought to praise. You know what I'm talking about? If you've been saved by God's grace, you do. Because you've had the, the same revelation in your heart where you have sought the Lord, where you have searched Him out to try to find the one that you have heard about to praise. And at last, when you found Him, likewise, did you with gladness rejoice because you had found the Christ. You had found the Savior that you had sought to seek or sought to find. So then, they seek Him, they find Him, 
And they come to the place where Jesus is. And what do they do first? It says they bowed down and worshipped Him. And these were wise men, magi, noble, revered, looked up to by society. They had just stood before King Herod. We're not told of any homage or of any worship, of any bowing down that was done. Yet they come to the child Jesus and they bow down and they fall before Him and they worship Him. And then they have their treasures. I like that Scripture remarks upon them in this way, that they had treasures with them. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now you probably know it well that we don't know how many wise men were here. Oftentimes our tradition holds to it that there was three because they had three gifts, but older tradition holds that there was twelve wise men. All that we know according to the Scriptures is that there was more than one because we see the plural pronoun they being used, meaning that there was more than one. But these wise men were there, however many that they were there, and they presented of their treasures gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now what do we know about Mary and Joseph at this time? They were young. They were espoused, not yet married, but legally engaged to one another. Best that we could probably describe it in today's terms anyway. And I don't know if you remember that. Married couples today of of being uh, just married or just setting out in in life together and young and uh, now there's a child on the way, but uh, there's a word that I would use to describe my wife and I when we were in those that, that setting. And that word that I would use to describe that is broke. We were broke. Mary and Joseph were in a similar place. Joseph was learning the, the craft, learning the trade of carpentry. But he was a young man. He wasn't one who was proficient yet or was well-learned yet in that craft. They didn't have a lot. Make no mistake that these gifts that they presented him, they were fit for a king. But they were a great necessity to Joseph and Mary. Why? Because they were getting ready to be called out of Bethlehem to Egypt. And they were going to have to quickly leave. And they needed the the financial support to go. And so there was more than just a symbolism here. (coughs) But the Lord was working here in the midst of this room and this little house in Bethlehem. (laughs) And they were told that these wise men, that they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they went back to their own country another way. I don't know where the wise men slept that night, but it seems reasonable to me that they probably spent the night in that same house there in Bethlehem. Doesn't it to you? (laughs) Can't you imagine (laughs) a night spent in worship and praise of the newfound king? Let me ask you this question. Does anybody remember that first night of sleep you got after the Lord saved your soul? Was there a better night of sleep that you ever had than that one? 
where all at once all the turmoil of your heart had been washed away and there was a peace and a joy that had set in your heart that you had never felt before and that was so real and so distinct that scripture refers to it as a joy that is unspeakable a peace that surpasses all understanding do you guys remember that? seems like the wise men would have experienced that for themselves even that night. And so the wise men, they're warned in a dream to go back to their own country another way. Alright, so we've reached the conclusion of the exposition of these 12 verses. What do we see? First thing we've already talked a little bit about, and that is these travelers who were searching for the king. And for you today who are lost, I want you to know that there is a great example that is given to you by the wise men. That is to search and to search diligently for this promised King, for this Messiah, for this Lord of Lords. I want you to see first how when the star had appeared, they first heard that the king was born, that they set out with haste to go and see him. They didn't waste time. They did not tarry. But from the first time that they had heard or had saw in their case that the king had been born with haste, they made their way to him. And so it is with you, my lost friend, that having heard of the Jesus who saves, having heard of this Messiah, having heard of the King of kings and Lord of lords, likewise, is it right that you would with haste make your way to Him? That you would make your way to the feet of Jesus? That you would make your way to the, the base of the cross where you could place your hope and your trust in Him and be saved? But what were these wise men met with Him as they searched for this king. First, they were met with a people who didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> Could you imagine how frustrated they were there in Jerusalem? What do you mean you don't know where this king of the Jews was born? We've seen his star. If he is surely the king of the Jews, if he's this newborn king, why is there not great pomp and circumstance being made about him? And I think sometimes it's discouraging for a lost heart who is on their own trying to make heads and tails and make sense of this, uh, this Jesus that they've heard about. Because the world, it seems, while they might acknowledge him, they don't know anything about him. You know what I'm talking about? That's what the wise men first experienced. And they came to a king. But this king who had the resources to tell them where this newborn king was, he was doing so with a means in his heart that wasn't right. He had nefarious reasons for telling them where Jesus was. He had a hatred in his heart, a cruelty in his heart towards this newborn king. And so though they told, he told them where they would find him, he did so with reasons in his heart that were not good. Don't we see that in the world today too? Lost people searching and desiring to find this Jesus, desiring to find peace and rest for their souls. Yet there are so many in the world today who are pointing a direction that would seem to be right, but are doing so with the wrong ends and means in mind. So lost friend, I warn you, be careful of those who are giving you direction, that they are not just telling you their direction to go, but they themselves are leading you 
in being that guide. Why? Because while it was that Herod said that you would find him in Bethlehem, it wasn't Herod who led the way. It was the star. Don't you remember that? That God provided the way. He provided the, the guide. He provided the one who would lead them to the place where Jesus was. And my friend, those who love you, those who desire not just that you would know the truth, but to show you the truth, they indeed will lead you and walk with you all the way up till they can't anymore when it comes to finding Jesus. Anybody know people like that in their lives? That led you as far as they could to the Lord? Now why am I careful to say as far as they could? Because that star came and it settled over that house in Bethlehem. But it couldn't let them in. Lost sinner today, I want you to know I desire to lead you and to show you the way right up to Jesus. But it is not anything that I can do or any of these people around you can do that can save you. That is fully between you and the Lord. And I'm glad it's that way, aren't you? My salvation is not dependent upon anyone else or anything else than the Lord Jesus Christ. My salvation is not built on anything else than the faith that the Lord had wrought in my heart where I could place my faith and my trust in Him and believe upon His name to the saving of my soul. And He Himself is the one who revealed that salvation in my heart. It was not revealed to me by any man. It was not revealed to me by my parents or by my loved ones or anyone else in my life. God Himself revealed in my heart that He had saved my soul. And that is altogether different <laughs> and far greater than what any work of man, that anyone with the best intentions could ever do for you. My friend, I want you to know, if you don't have that salvation, the salvation that God Himself has revealed to you where you know that you know that you know that God has saved your soul. You don't need to accept any substitute, but instead you need to make your calling and your election sure. You need to fall on your face before God and make sure that you're saved. Don't accept a substitute. Listen, my family, my friends will tell you I'm an off-brand guy all the way. I'm good with great value. I'm good with Kroger brand and Meyer brand. I don't need the real thing. But there is one thing where nothing but the real thing will do. And it's salvation that is wrought in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. What about this scandal then? You see, Herod, he had evil in his heart. And he had desired that this king of the Jews that had been born, that he would be vanquished. That his enemies, that his opponents would be defeated. And so when he inquired of the wise men, when they had saw this star in the sky, he did so that he might know who exactly, or, or what exactly, this new king of the Jews was. And so what we would see as the account would go on here in the second chapter of the book of Matthew 
Is that ultimately when Herod finds out the, the wise men had, had, had mocked him, as the scriptures say, and went another way, that he grew furious in his heart, and he issued a, dec- a decree that all the, fir- or all the male children in Bethlehem, from the age of two to on down, that they would be, be executed, that they would be murdered, so that he might eliminate this one who was born king of the Jews. Yet we know that, that Joseph had a dream in which an angel appeared to him and had warned him to get Mary and the boy Jesus out of Bethlehem and to escape unto Egypt. And they did, and they did so until Herod died. And then once Herod died, they made their way to Galilee and to the city of Nazareth. But what we see throughout that is we see this first example where the birth of Jesus, the arrival of the Son of God, was a scandal that was beginning to worry and grieve the hearts of people whose hearts were set on wicked. And that scandal will continue throughout the life of Jesus. Not only was it happening here when Jesus was first born, when a man first set out to kill Him, but throughout His ministry we would see how the Jews would seek to stone Him. We would see where the Jews would close in him to throw him off a cliff. We see again and again and again scandal being brought against Jesus by those with evil in their hearts who believe that he was not the true Son of God, but one who was a blasphemer and one who was doing all sorts of things, who was going to cause an uproar against the kingdom of Rome. They had a, a, a worry in their hearts that this man, Jesus, that he was going to instead be one who would cause mischief against them, who would somehow cause their own little kingdoms to fall. So much so until we know that Jesus Himself was ultimately betrayed by a kiss by one of His followers, Judas. And we know that He was ultimately executed. An innocent man crucified for our sins. But what's so bothersome about this is that even today, these scandals remain. Those who see and they hear Jesus preached and their hearts rebel against it. Their hearts are set on evil. Their hearts are set on consuming their own lust or set upon their own little kingdoms that they have built up. And so when the Gospel message of Jesus Christ that cries out and says to leave all of that behind, to repent of all of it, to forsake all of it, and to follow Jesus, when that message is preached, it remains a scandal even today. But what happens is that by the blessing of God, some hear this scandalous message of the Gospel and the Spirit pricks their hearts and it uh, does something inside of them where they say all at once, all those possessions, all the things that they have held to for so long that indeed they rightly see them as worthless because they are. Any tangible possession that we have here, it is at its best of only some some temporary worth. And so when the Spirit awakes in the hearts of a man, the hearts of a young girl, the hearts of a young boy regarding this Gospel, and they see Jesus not as some scandal who's here to overthrow kingdoms, as some scandal who's here to establish Himself as some worldly king, as some man who would be brought up that would somehow 
be of such uh, objection or such uh, repulsiveness that the others would cry out to Him, crucify, crucify. But instead, they see Him as Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, holy and righteous and without evil, filled with goodness and grace and mercy and a love that was so great for the world that hated Him that it led Him to a cross at Calvary where He willingly, (laughs) willingly took upon Himself the sins of the whole world and was crucified, dying a death of a sinner, dying the death of a criminal, standing in my place, standing in your place, having heaped upon Him all the sins and all the guilt of the whole world and to such a degree that God forsook Him as He hung there. And He did so that someone as sinful and as vile as me could be saved. Oh, my friend, to many, this gospel message remains a scandal. Oh, but I pray today you are here that it wouldn't be some scandal against which this same adversary that ever since the very beginning has been waging war against God where He would establish in your heart that for some reason this Gospel message that's being preached is not for your good, but it is for your evil. That you would reject all of that. That you would hear the Spirit sweetly say, Come. As Jesus said, Come unto Me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden, all ye who are weary, bogged down and cast down by this world, worn out and rejected by man, all those who know your hearts have been minded towards good, yet you know that as try as you might, you have found nothing to satisfy your longing heart. Jesus says, come. Come. Try of me. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. For lo, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, all who come to the Lord, He's never turned one away. Even those wise men who came from a distance some far off. (coughs) Can't you see Him there in the house with the boy Jesus? You ever seen some children who are just just shy and backwards? You come to them and they hide behind their parents' leg and they kind of reject you and shun you. I think even Christ, as a boy, wouldn't it have been that? Would you? For He's always welcomed all those that would come to Him. <laughs> Guilty, vile sinners, cast down, cast out by the rest of society, disregarded amongst men, treated as unclean, no good, and rotten by the rest of the world, yet invited (laughs) by the love of God. Sinner friend, today I ask you, what will you do with this Jesus? What will you do with the One who is born the Son of God? 
Will you too reject Him? Will you too see this gospel message to be scandalous against your heart to as all the while desire your own deeds? Or will you with humility hear the message of hope that is wrought in Jesus Christ that has been brought in this God-man who has been found in the one who is pure and perfect and holy? And will you hear the message and with haste as the wise men made make your way to the foot of the cross? Brother Cor, if we get a song, if you're here today and you're lost, I want to give you opportunity. If the Lord is dealing with you in some way, you feel that, that drawing of God, a sense maybe you've never even felt before, where you're feeling the, the Spirit deal with you. You might say, I've not felt this before. I don't understand it fully. My friend, I want you to know I understand. But where there's a Spirit drawing you that you know is above and beyond yourself, don't turn it away, but follow the Spirit that would lead you and guide you to Christ, just as these wise men followed that star. If the Spirit is drawing you today unto the Lord, I want to call out and, and encourage you to pray, to seek the Lord with all of your heart, to cry out to Him, ask Him to help you, ask Him to save you. I want to give you this hope. Those that cry out to the Lord in full hope, in full trust, in full faith believing, never once has He not saved. So you today who are lost, won't you come to the One who can save you? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's sing. Come on. Lord, deal with you. Don't turn away.